if you really focus on value creation, you will get growth. Focus on growth, you could sometimes destroy value. You won't, might not be thinking long term. You may not be thinking about the teams and the way they work together. You can get growth a lot of ways. Welcome to Building Better CMOs, a podcast about how marketers can get stronger and smarter. I am Greg Stewart, the CEO of the nonprofit trade association, MMA Global. And that voice you heard at the top is Rebecca Messina, a senior advisor at McKinsey & Company. She previously worked for more than 22 years at the Coca-Cola Company during its heyday before serving as a global CMO at Beam Centauri and then the first ever global CMO at Uber. And today she's also on the global board here at the MMA. Today on Building Better CMOs, Rebecca and I are going to talk about the research that she and the MMA, along with three other professors, have been involved with for the last six years to really validate how marketing org, when done right, can really drive the sales of the organization. This is probably the most interesting work I will do in my entire marketing career, and I'm super excited for you to hear about it. Now, this podcast is all about the challenges marketers face and unlocking the true power that marketing can have. This is a Rebecca Mestina from McKinsey and Company is going to tell us how to do that right after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rebecca Messina. Oh my God. I was going to say long time since we've spoken, but I think it was Monday this week. I think that's right. I think so. I think so. I don't know. I probably, I'm trying to think of all the board members. Do I talk to you more than almost anybody except for my chair? That might be true. We have some kind of contact pretty regularly and I'm grateful for it. No, you're very generous to say that. I wholeheartedly agree. I find him, especially too, you have a lot of interesting friends around you. We're going to get into a little bit here. Some people are thinking big about marketing. So that's always the you, them, us. So lots of good stuff. So where are you? Where did I catch you today? Today I'm in Amsterdam. Oh my God. I know. I live between actually Atlanta and Amsterdam right now. What happened in Italy? Oh, Italy's very in the mix. Okay, Italy's okay. in the mix. Okay. 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 No, oh, okay. Yeah. So Italy, what's Amsterdam? Italy's not going anywhere. <laughs> Amsterdam, my husband's Dutch. Okay. And for the last 17 years has been living in the U.S. in various cities because we've lived Atlanta, Chicago, and San Francisco, but he's really wanted the kids to have a Dutch year. And we were getting towards one of the last opportunities because my daughter's now a sophomore and our son's in eighth grade. So we are doing the Dutch year, but most of my work is still US based. I've also got a sick parent. So I go back and forth to Atlanta and Amsterdam. So I leave Monday for Atlanta. I'll be in New York with you next week. So yeah, my kids are doing a year here and they're having a great time. And wow. it's proving to be the cutest city on the world with the worst weather. So it's what you think it is. So it's really there to teach them Dutch and culture, I assume, right? Is that it? Well, they, their Dutch is perfect. That's really oh, wow. thanks to my husband. Yeah, their Dutch is amazing. As a matter of fact, they actually tested into the mother tongue Dutch here, which was like incredible. Crazy. Yeah. And uh, so they're really here for culture, lifestyle. They've got a very independent life. You know, what they say about Dutch and bikes is true. They bike everywhere. I bike everywhere. I bike to get the groceries. I've learned you can carry amazing things on a bike. It's crazy the number of bikes. There are more bikes in Amsterdam than there are people, right? Yes, Gotta be there true. Are. There, It's actually very true. I know many people with two bikes. It's everywhere. And I think they have to pull them out of the canals there all the time because they, they somehow- <laughs> <there's> some- <laughs> And I keep telling myself, you know, how many ways can you die in Amsterdam? And one of them is absolutely getting clunked by a bike. So it's a thing, oh but it's a really interesting culture. 
Were you in Ken Lyons the year that the campaign that won was, uh, what was it, Eight Ways to Die or Ten Ways to Die or something like that? Do you remember that oh, campaign? I do remember the campaign. That? I don't know if I was there that year. I think it was around I... trains. I think it was kids were doing silly stuff on trains and getting themselves hurt. And so they did it as a prevention. Yeah, but I think it won like all the major awards. It was an incredible, it was a very interesting, innovative campaign. Set fire to your hair. Poke a stick at a grizzly bear. Eat medicine that's out of date. Use your private parts as piranha bait. Dumb ways to die. So many dumb ways to die. Dumb ways to die. So many dumb ways to die. Here, I said there are moments like getting out of an Uber requires special skills. You open that door, you will... Nine times out of ten, be opening into bike traffic. Oh, my God. So you really have to be, yeah, you have to be very careful. Oh, my goodness. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Where does Italy fit into the path, though, too? Because you you have a place in, you, you own a place in Italy, I think, right? We do, yeah. Um, Italy is like the forever place. We built it, you know, a long time ago. Gosh, we built it in 2013, 14, 15, took a couple of years. And so it's just, it's our happy place. It's our summer place. It's just lovely, simple but it's really nice. Now, when you go there, do you actually work from there or you just go there and you shut off? Oh, okay. Yeah. And it's actually a good work story for anyone listening. It was well before COVID. And I remember going to Joe Tripodi at the time. And I said, Joe, I'm going to start working from Sicily in the summer. And to Joe's credit, he said, um, we'll give it a try. And he said, listen, if you can single-handedly take this company down by working in Sicily for a summer, then we've got bigger issues. <laughs> and I mean, I think I just- That's all like I something think, Joe would say. I love yeah. it. It was great. My husband was doing it too. He was working at Coke and we just made it work. We really wanted it to work. Wow. So we, you know, if we meant sometimes you're waking up at crazy hours, we woke up at crazy hours and, and then, you know, now it's much easier to do. And here I am working from Amsterdam and so it can happen. It can work. I'm grateful we did it. It was a bit of a stretch, but we did it. And, um, it's a forever place. Oh, that's great. Listen, and just for kind of in the listeners. So just so everybody knows, Rebecca Hill was referring to Joe Chipotle. How do I say his last Chipotle. 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 Joe Chipotle, who is one of the famous CMOs. He, in fact, he was, he led a team of which you were a part of that became when Coke was marker of the year. Very big deal. Uh, Jonathan Mendenhall was there. Wendy Clark was there. I mean, Tom Daly, who I knew Myself, a little bit. Myself, Ivan Pollard, here. yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of yeah. the greatest marketers of all time were there at this very unique period in Coke. And then after that, you were Beam Suntory, correct? Yeah, my last job at Coke, I was the CMO of the incubator, which was Venturing Emerging Brands. And then I went to Beam Suntory, which is a spirits company. I was the global CMO there. And then I was Uber's first CMO as it was pre and post the IPO. That must have been a crazy experience to be there too, because it was your time, because you were the first CMO after some of the disruption in management too, I think. Is that correct? Right. So I was like handpicked. So it was exactly the founder had left and Dar had come in and he was standing up his leadership team for the first time. And it was a company that if you think about it for 10 years at that point, about nine years, become everything it was without a marketing leader. They did do a lot of marketing. They did a lot of marketing though, right? Because Kellen was there at that time. They did, but they did everything in pockets. So there was, I think Kellen was doing U.S. marketing. Somebody else had a smaller brand okay. role for a while. They had never had a big concerted effort of organized approach to the discipline of marketing, but it was consistent with how a company goes really, really yep. fast. Yep, totally. They parse it out and give everybody a lot of autonomy. And, and as they grew up, that became, you know, more difficult to sustain and, and they had amassed a lot of marketers. And so it was a really interesting remit and a really interesting time to be there. I think I kind of remember too, the 2,500 marketers or something like that, right? At Uber, something like that? Not quite. Not uh, that big? But no, okay. a lot, about 12, maybe about 12, a, 12, okay. a thousand oh, to 1,200, yeah. I doubled it yeah. over time, so sorry That's about okay, that. you know. Okay, got it. Yeah, but no, it was a big, big marketing organization. Yep. And they spent a lot of money. I can remember numbers in the, you know, million dollar a week kind of discussions at some oh, point. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Yes. Million and a half, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, yep. they were actually the ones who discovered too, a lot of that fraud stuff that was such a big deal that we talked about a lot at the board levels and stuff. So, okay, well, listen, you know, Rebecca here, why don't we jump right in? Because I think there's a lot of other chit chat. You and I know each other for a long time, so we could, you know, we could have fun with that. But I think there's a bigger topic, obviously, and it really fits into building better CMOs and the whole thesis of the show, which is around like, what do you, in your experience, exposure, perspective, what do you think we don't get right as markers? What do we miss 
what do you think the industry would be better off? Because that's the thesis of the MMA. The MMA is to find problems and go fix them to make marketers and CMOs better. The whole title of the show, get the whole idea. But in your experience, and you're interesting because you've had a, a number of somewhat radically different experiences, some of those, mm-hmm. what do you think it is? Let's put a statement out there and let's riff on that for a while. I think we believe that once a CMO, always a CMO anywhere. And I think that's where we get it wrong. You know, if you're the Coca-Cola company, marketing's the center of the universe. It's clear how marketing creates value. People understand the role it plays. You're going to amass great marketing talent across all aspects of marketing. And it's a well-understood discipline. My middle experience at Beam, there's a certain way things are done, but they're maybe not using all of the tools at their disposal. So part of what I was there to help do was, you know, maybe modernize a bit, kind of bring out some of the better brand building fundamentals. And Uber may be one of the most modern companies, but yet had never really put any of the fundamentals in place, hadn't really organized or understood that they'd really amassed a coalition of marketers. The opportunity was to really kind of integrate it. And I think what sometimes we don't do enough of is understand how unique each moment in time is, not just how each... CMO is, but how the moment in time, what that company needs at that time and the way to add the greatest value is to point the vectors in that direction of value creation and line up the teams, the skills, the people behind it to go and chase that. Okay. So that could sound a little bit like, oh, every situation is a unique snowflake, which is hard to communicate to the rest of the C-suite. You're not just being open-ended like, hey, we just make this shit up as we go. That's not where you're going. Oh, no. I actually think there's, well, everything is unique. It isn't. There are some fundamentals that get skipped. Yeah, okay. And I think what I'm advocating is stop skipping the fundamentals. It's almost like one of the fundamentals, I'll be honest, is, is mindset. We talk about skill set. We talk about data sets. And we come in and we say, if we only added these skills, that if only we had access to these data sets. The truth is, a lot of this is a mindset. And I find, and I'm fortunate because I have a McKinsey side of my life. I've got a Marcap side. I've got a lot of private advising. I'm inside a lot of companies of all different shapes and sizes. And I think it's this mindset of value creation. And I'm choosing that word over growth because I think if you really focus on value creation, you will get growth. Focus on growth. You can sometimes destroy value. Oh. You won't, might not be thinking long-term. You may not be thinking about the teams and the way they work together, you can get growth a lot of ways. And so I always like to parse out the difference and articulate the role of marketing in terms of how it creates value long and short term. And there will be a component of growth in that. And so will that be a snowflake? No, I think everybody's going to be asking that question of the marketing team. So talked about maybe, I don't know, there are a series of different mindsets. Is that how you would approach it? Keep riffing on mindset and what that means. I feel like... I think there's kind of three mindsets, well, three pieces that I think are critical. So this is where we're not unique. I think marketers still have the old fashioned job of inspire. And I don't know who else in the organization is going to do it. Inspiring consumers, inspiring behavior, inspiring action. Somebody's got to lead the charge. I guess you're suggesting in some regards the CEO is not always the person doing that. No, you know, marketing is ultimately in charge of behavior change, right? That's what we're trying to get. And that requires inspiration at many levels. The other one is that I think is really uniquely marketing's job is innovate. So we have to inspire, we have to innovate. Like, And look, we, one of the things you and I could talk about all day is bringing in every new capability that ever comes around. That's part of marketing's innovation model, right? Like marketing is constantly in like an R&D department. What function is changing more dramatically than marketing or the connection to consumers? I mean, oh my God, it's not even, Rebecca, it's not the same thing today it was in the 20 years ago when you and I would have been practicing. Completely Completely different. Completely different. Completely, completely different. Yeah. And and then the third one is the one, you know, I, I beat the drum on this all the time is integrate. This is a dispersed, fragmented, distributed, I don't even know if I want to call it a function anymore. I I really do use the word either a network or a coalition because I think the activities that need to happen to create that value that we just talked about are often very dispersed and they sit across many areas of responsibility. And I think sometimes we get in and we fight for the teams directly into us. 
And I think that fight is almost futile. I think the better opportunity is to integrate the pieces. And research shows that when CMOs can integrate the pieces, play a unifying role, the results really improved for them and for the experience of everyone around them and ultimately for the consumer. And so I'd say the three things I said are innovate, inspire, and integrate. And that's their mindsets, right? Like I'm here to move people. I'm here to help us work through new things and create new value. And I'm here to put the pieces together. So let's talk a little bit about those pieces then, because, you know, granted you're here to move, but it's not just a, hey, whip them up into a frenzy and turn them loose. The project that you and you've been involved with for 20 plus years that MMA has been involved with, or their friend, Dr. Omar Rodriguez Villa, for the last seven years, I guess, here at the MMA, is around trying to create structure around capabilities. So talk a little bit about that work, because I think that's the foundation of the integrate and putting yeah. the pieces together. It would, is. Would, is that right? It is. And the, the genesis of the work, and, and again, it's really all Omar's credit. Omar was on my team at Coke a long time ago, and he was leading the work on my team to help us really continue to transform and keep marketing on its edge. And he had this brilliant idea that if you operate in as many countries as a company like Coke operates, you have like a research project in the making. So let's study the capabilities that are present in our winning most countries. And so he stood up a research project called Winning Marketing Organizations. And it helped us identify the capabilities present in our winning most teams around the world. So the teams in countries that are having the best financial yes. performance, yes. is it Had the strongest that brand simple? power, okay. yep. all of those things, yep. A few more than just financial. Many measures, yeah. Classically Omar, many measures. And one of the capabilities was their ability to integrate across what was critical at Coke, which was called franchise and commercial leadership. And a marketer that could put the pieces together, a marketing team that did that well, they were consistently outperforming our others. Omar went on to get his PhD, Omar went on to become a professor at Emory and at Georgia Tech. And that work, he's given it a whole new life because together with other marketing academics who are leading in the world of marketing capability, he's taken that work and and turned it into industry-wide work because he's taken and looked at companies around the world that are outperforming others and been able to identify some things that are present in those. And there are three things present in the winning most companies. One of them is clarity of operating principles, how we work, how we work together, how decisions are made, who's in charge of what, all of that. The other one is what we call clarity of mission, how we create value. We know why we're here. And then the third one is having the right capabilities. You have the presence of the right capabilities that are aligned to what the business needs to create that value. And every company is going to have a different capability fit, right? Like you're not, every company needs the same 10. It all depends on which direction you're pointed. So those three things, clarity of mission, clarity of operating principles, and clarity of capabilities are the three things present in the winning most companies today. And I continue to see it play out over and over again. And just to be clear, Rebecca, just for the listener's sake here, I obviously know a little bit about this since a lot of this work has been interwoven with the global board of the MMA and, and the support of the CMOs there. You know, this is not an idol like, hey, we think this is best. We got Dr. Sundar Begawatch, who's come in and done a massive statistical and mathematical analysis around this work and tying what really matters to growth, like what do high performance companies really do? Not this sort of retrofect, like it's a real, I, I believe to the best of his knowledge, it'd be a causality relationship. I, I think it's where he's mm-hmm. going on that. Mm-hmm. And then we should have mentioned just because, you know, Neil will yell at us if we don't bring his name up, but Neil Morgan, Dr. Neil Morgan also involved Absolutely. too, just, just by the way. We'll just but they're three in. of the world's best. Oh, they really and, are. Yeah. And they're excellent at what they do. And they have, we've been able to tie the presence of these activities, particularly the fit on capability to financial performance. What I love about this and even this conversation and I hear this is available to everyone. Yeah. And I don't just mean the work. I mean, these are variables at our disposal. We could fight all day for more money for tech or more money for better data sets, even paying more for talent. This is available to all of us to take the opportunity to define the value creation for marketing, to be clear on how we operate yeah. and to ensure we've got the right capabilities. That's 
That's yeah. at everyone's disposal. And I love where this came from too, because I was in that very first meeting. I think this is before, I don't remember if you were at that. I wasn't at the meeting, but I was on the okay. MMA then. Yeah. You heard, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. What happened is uh, Dr. Omar and I had a meeting. It was a private closed door session with some of the world's biggest CMO. I remember CMO, it wasn't Deb Wall, it was before that, uh, it was Tim Mahoney. But CMO of General Motors was there. Uh, CMO of T-Mobile was there at the time. CMO of Chobani, Duncan Brands. The, you know, there were big CMOs in the room. I remember this. And Omar threw out an open-ended question. It was just meant to be a warm-up. We were just going to spend 10 minutes and move on to something else. And the question was, what is the role of marketing? What is the role of CMO? Assuming those are intertwined. And I'll never forget, one hour later, we realized nobody in that room agreed what the role of the CMO or the role of marketing was. And that, to me, that's probably one of the most eye-opening moments in my entire career marketing to go, oh, my God, if we don't know what the hell we do, how in God's name do we explain it to the CFO, the CEO, or the board? How are they, non-marketers, supposed to understand if we can't be clear? And I suspect that it was that that led then Omar and team to come up with that there's really three primary marketing strategies. There's only three. There could be combinations of it, but there's only three. What are those? There's only three. They all begin with an E for the listener's sake. So get your pens out. But one is what's called exchange value. So that's a company that creates its value through personalization, transactions, one-to-one interactions. Think Amazon. Probably the best example. Yeah, classic, the DTC that came all the rage, which is a very different capability set. Okay, keep going. Okay, what else? So that's one. Yep, Yep. brand plays a very different role there. Exchange for it. Yep. Yep, okay, exchange value. The second one is experience value. You know, I'm going on a flight on Monday to the U.S. I'm already getting my text messages from Delta Airlines. I'm going to check in on Sunday. And then from Sunday all the way through to landing, I can track my bags. I can do all of these things, right? Yep. Experience. They are deriving their value and creating value with customers through experience. That is their differentiator. Yep. Delta, I think, was always the example we use is probably the best in the performers of these. And you think about like even companies like Travel, like they don't really do brand advertising, at least that I see much anymore. They don't. They basically have their loyalty programs and they've been really fixated on experience because we all hated flying. And they've done everything they they can for now to make it better. So, yes, it's all about that. Yep, go ahead. Absolutely. And then the third one is maybe what you'd call the classic one. It's called engagement. And this, a good example, would be like the Coca-Cola company. A company that creates its value with consumers through an engagement model, being relevant, being meaningful, being a brand you want to have in your life. A lot of your luxury goods companies operate totally. a little bit in there. And sometimes they bleed into experience as well. So those three things of exchange of experience and of engagement are really important conversations because as an example, if you've brought in an engagement heavy CMO to an exchange company, you're going to either, you have done that intentionally because you believe the role of brand is fundamentally more important. Right, because you're maybe moving the strategy right. of the company exactly. here, people. It's not just that like, hey, we've come up with a new idea looking at the world, right? Exactly. No, it's a business model shift. Yes. It's Money a business flows differently Everybody's in that company. Everybody's got to agree. Right. But what's the complexity though? So if you go from exchange to engagement or whatever, what's the complexity though for those marketing departments? Yeah, that's just it. And so the complexity is choosing your, what we're going to call your your capability stack almost. But again, I think you nailed it. Often we think that marketing is disconnected from the business model. Better not be. Right. It's so embedded. Everything that I just explained to you is literally a business model and the way money will flow, the way value will flow. And, you know, in the engagement model, you're going to need some patience, right? There's the demand cycle is going to be longer. You believe in building brands for the long term. And it's very different. Listen, this is such a big deal. And the issue, just to be really clear for everybody, it's like, you know, you don't necessarily need data scientists as a part of a brand model. I'm not saying there isn't maybe some value creation there, but it's not the important. But if you're doing transactions... If you're DTC oriented, then the data scientist people are the most important people in the business. They probably also relate in the customer experience. So Omar and team have come up with 72 capabilities required across Mm -hmm. the three marketing stacks. Uh, Just for the listener's sake, there are other ways to create value. They're not all customer facing. Yeah, yeah. The three other ways to create value are operational value, knowledge value, and strategic value. So a really quickly, strategic value would be a marketing organization that's enabling someone else through strategy. We come up with and help you decide the next areas of growth and somebody else goes and chases it. Okay. That can happen. Sometimes that is even in B2B companies. Another one is operational value. We tie the pieces together behind the scene. We give the sales team all the materials they need. 
but we're really more operational value behind the scenes. And then the third one is knowledge value. And this one pops up a lot is a second area together with the three E's with one of the three E's from many companies. This was a big one for me at Uber. Actually, this is where you're bringing unique perspective. You're bringing knowledge, knowledge about consumers, knowledge about the marketplace, knowledge about where the world's going. You're bringing knowledge, insight, into building new products, into reaching consumers in new ways. It's a really important one, but we call it firm facing. It's more and internally it's creating value. And then that value will get delivered, if you would, through one of the externally facing ones. Yeah, I, I misstated earlier. You're right. Let me yeah, it's, it's correct for everybody there, which you did appreciate that, which is that there's 72 capabilities across all six. You got it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's not just against get divided the three. into yeah, 18 yeah, and then the 18 yeah, of those, I, they fall. Yeah, exactly. And so right. you nailed it though, Greg. Like that's why the 72 is an incredible tapestry of, you know, more capabilities than you'd ever have, but it really represents all of the aspects of all the activities of marketing. The really important job for a CMO and where I think we undervalue sometimes we don't put enough time in is designing that capability strategy to ensure that fit is tight. Do I have the capabilities I need to create the value in the way we've agreed? Right. And by the way, I've got one client right now who you know well, who they're really thinking about it in a really stair-stepped way. Year one, they're picking a handful of those and they're going after them, but they know that once they get those laid, they know the next round and the next round. And it's really helping them set their agenda and articulate that agenda. And it's also helping manage expectations inside the company. And as they get asked to deliver certain things, they can articulate, we don't have those capabilities yet. We can go outsource them though. That's a route, right? There's many, there's many ways to get access to the capabilities. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, just to make sure everybody's really clear, this is not also endemic to the category. So we kind of, I used the example earlier, Delta and all airlines, they're probably, they're all pursuing a customer experience strategy. It feels like to me, at least from the limited exposure I have to every airline that, you know, other than United, I fly all the time. But where this matters is that you could be the same product and have a totally different marketing strategy. So Razors is the best. Gillette has typically, although they've changed a little bit, has typically been a brand strategy sold to retail. They don't even know the customers. Harry's knows every customer, is focused on transaction. They've done an interesting job, I think, in defining what that brand is. So I don't want to take anything away from that. But it's really been a transactionally oriented sort of product, at least to date, although no, they're still in retail too. They sort of cross over. But that's the issue. If you're going to cross over from being DTC, if you're going to be crossed over from transaction to brand, then you have to recognize I need a new set of capabilities to bring in-house to make that transition. But that's a constant decision the business is making. That's exactly right. And the word there is conscious. Yes. And I think so often the capabilities are by default. Yes. And it's really versus by design. And this is just, I found there's just so much value in giving this the time it requires. It's a no regret move. Yeah. It really is the no regret move that's often overlooked. And we jump straight into I get asked a lot of times in a lot of my advising work, share the org chart of another company with me. I'm like, we could, but it will matter nothing. Yes. So let's go one back though, just to kind of give props to this, because I think it's important for, again, the listeners to totally understand. So once you've mapped out those set of capabilities, this is not an idle conversation of like, hey, we've created a nifty new framework. So what? What Sundar did is he stepped in and as a result, that now I know now the work has expanded, but the original thesis, the original proof, proof I should say, not thesis, thesis that then proved, was that alignment of capabilities drove financial performance of the company. That when companies got that right, when they did more of what mattered and less of what didn't, financials improved. I mean, that's a blow your mind kind of conclusion. It is. And these guys, Sundar and Omar, took it to two levels. And Neil, of course, the three of them. Sundar could tell you the upside. So a 1% improvement in capability fit was a two and a half time improvement in, in, in growth. Yes, in growth. Yep. And then Omar went on to look at, you said it very well, there was a nuance in what you said. When you're working on things that don't matter as much, that's called unproductive. Yeah. That's wasteful. Omar's gone on to demonstrate when you're wasting, when you don't have that operating clarity, it's expensive. Yes. We don't kind of talk about that enough. 
Yeah. And marketing, I mean, listen, I love, let me be clear here. I love marketing. It's all I've ever done for many decades. It's all I ever wanted to do since I was a child. I watched Bewitched too much. I don't know where it came from. It's all I ever wanted to do. However, oh, I forgot Darren, was he a marketer? Yeah, he was. He was. He ran an, he was at an age. He worked at an agency, right? You know, if Wilkerson likes this stuff as much as I think he will, it could mean a lot more than one little lipstick account. We might even lock up all the Madame Maruska cosmetic products. Lipstick, face cream, hairspray, all that gook. It'd be worth millions to us. Millions. You know your eyes light up when you talk about money, Larry? Of course. I'm a greedy person. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back after this with Rebecca Messina. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Building Better CMOs. Let's get back to my conversation with Rebecca Messina, a senior advisor at McKinsey & Company. So here's the thing, what we don't really necessarily track on this, what we're not really sort of always sure about is that as marketers, we love shiny objects and we tend to run at what's next and new. It doesn't mean for the strategy that we have that we should be doing that or doing it in the way that we are sometimes. That's right. And well, very obvious, you, you nailed it. So like uh, there's a chart I used once which was like all the activities present in marketing 20 years ago. And the activities present today. Yeah. And it's enormous. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. People want to go search. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Just search online. Look for the MMA capability. I'm sure it's MMA Marcaps. Do MMA Marcaps capability map. You'll find it in a Google search. Yeah. You're exactly right, which is we hear about a new area and we think we too have to go become best in class in that. And the question is, no, you Not don't. necessarily. You know, what Coke needs to be good at, Uber doesn't need to be good at. What Uber needs to be good at, Coke doesn't necessarily. And we start to chase these things. It doesn't mean that they don't matter in a business. There might even be a role for it. And there might be some value you can create. And the question is, when is the right moment to go do that? And what is happening, I see this in a lot of companies, is they tack on all these new capabilities and all these new people come in and it's really hard to understand what role they play in, in value creation because nobody's ever articulated that, how the vector's pointing. And so it ends up becoming fragmented and dispersed versus coordinated and value creating and accelerated. And so it's a big one, but we all chase them. And somebody's going to come down the hall to you one day and go, hey, where are we at on dot, 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 name the new thing. Yeah, name the new thing, right. I think we constantly spin out of control, that kind of thing. We do. So Rebecca, let's go back though to one of the other elements you said. Let's talk about mission a little bit, because I think what's been funny on this work is I've observed it. So tell me if I'm capturing this right. You know, there's a very mathematical orientation to capability fit to strategy, right? That's kind of what they created. And that's very cool because no other part of the business done that. Mm -hmm. However, I think in most of the engagements or most of the, when I see Omar working with a CMO, I don't get a sense they even hardly get to fit. They never get past mission. It's a great point. Is I, that true? Right now we have five active, I'm, on, I'm involved with five clients. We do get to fit. Okay. Okay. Good. 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 Thank you. We put a lot of time to get that right, but yeah. But let me rephrase it. You nailed it. Often, this is the statement that's opening. We have a mission. We just have a, I think we have a fit problem. We do the assessment. We find out, well, you, you're right about the fit problem, but you actually have a mission problem. <laughs> we, we've measured that, by the way. <laughs> you have a mission Wait, problem. How does it pop up? Talk a lot. I mean, listen, we're obviously not going to talk about companies here, but uh, in the abstract, how does mission, what happens? We try to ask, is there a mission that's present? Is it one you're engaged in? Is it one you're excited about? Is it, under, is it one that you understand? And what we consistently find, we often find one, often there is a mission present, but the engagement in the mission is low. We also have some clients where there is no mission present. 
or then we ask the question, articulate the mission to us. We'll have somewhere there'll be, let's call it 60% of the people that were surveyed will, will say there's a mission present. You ask them what's in the mission, you, we word cloud it, there's a thousand different things. So there's no consistent mission present. Not one that they really are, it all could, could play back. So most companies do have a marketing mission problem. And then we work with them to help them articulate what, what's already present in the DNA. Where is there some naturally occurring themes? And then we start to formulate a mission, but it's based on the bigger question, which is where in the value equation are you? Are you that exchange company? Are you that engagement company? Are you um, that experience company? What is it? And then articulating the mission in a way that's really unique, whatever you are, how is it that you uniquely create experience? How is it that you are going to uniquely deliver on engagement? And so that's how we get at it. And then from there, tell you the dominoes fall a lot easier on capability fit. If you can do that. When you get them aligned on mission. Yeah. No, I've heard that again and again from the CMOs that I've watched walk through the process or spoken at our conferences or in board meetings. It seems so clear. And some of the problems of mission are like, you know, I think you found at least what I think I've heard and you should clarify because you've been closer to some of the engagement, but it's like there could be like completely different orientations to what marketing is in different regions. What's really weird about that, I think in the example I'm thinking of is like then what the core damn business is about. (laughs) So run out of America, but the regions are off doing a whole different thing not really respecting, and that was a brand issue. People didn't get the orientation to brand and the importance of that, and yet that was the core strategy of that company and was always going to be the core strategy of that company, I think, if I remember right. This happens a lot. So very, very often, companies have more of a quote-unquote traditional. The center does certain things, and the field does different things. The field could be, you know, cities around the U.S. or countries around the world. There could be some reason for doing that, but there needs to be a conscious decision. This was not that. This was just like it had grown that way. And by the way, not only there probably needs to be a reason for that, the key is coordinating the efforts. And often they're not coordinated at all. And so there's no reason that the mission, the core mission of the company's marketing discipline at large should be able to be stated in a way that no matter where you sit in the world, you can see yourself in it. And it was something we worked really hard on at Coke was to articulate ours in a way that no matter where you sat, you understood. And it's really a powerful place to work once you can get at that. So Coke had gotten it right. I mean, I guess, so of course, Omar was there, right? So of course. Uh, yeah. Omar and I were actually leading the charge on this. There was another, uh, he's now the CEO of Danone. Another guy who worked very closely with me. It was Mark Matuz era. Oh, okay, so Mark okay. was there as yeah. well. Oh yeah. Another great marketer. Oh, amazing marketer. His intuition amazing. is unbelievable. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's one of the very few that gets to totally rely on intuition. He doesn't need, I mean, I'm sure he's still data oriented, but he doesn't need no damn data. He's that good. He's very rare. Unbelievable. unbelievable. I used to always say two minutes with Mark and I could go create yeah. gold. But it was that clarity that could, at that time, we had almost 3,000 marketers at Coke. I mean, we created a model that enabled every single person, no matter where they sit, big country, small country, developing market, developed market, heavy on, you know, the still side of the business or the CSD side. It didn't matter what side of the business you were on. Everybody understood the value marketing created and where they fit in. And that's available to every company. It just takes the CMO's mindset of really wanting to go and do that. Hey, didn't you have another mission statement, uh, a mission work and stuff, a company in the West Coast? And the issue there was that the marketers ultimately, what, what was the dynamic? They didn't feel empowered to really lead or make decisions. Do you know which one I'm referring to? That one was a really interesting one because they were, so today we don't often have a lot of, I would say maybe 40% of the companies we deal with don't have direct res- revenue responsibility. Okay. This company was delivering a very large part of the company's revenue. This is a very big company. But what was interesting is when we did the survey and did a lot of interviews, what we saw was that thing that most people clamor for and wish they could be a part of was actually proving to be a bit of a burden for them. A burden because they were valued for the revenue they deliver, but not for the insights they had, not for the bigger role they could play in marketing. They were sitting on some of the most important insights that could actually create even more value if only they could bring them to bear with the product team and with other teams. And so that was a big piece of it. And they were 
a little bit order taking versus on a front That's foot. That's what I heard. Right. They were, yes, they would get a request to execute a marketing plan and they would do it successfully. They would do it and they would deliver the revenue promised and everything. But it missed the leadership component of that. You got it. And I think it wasn't part of the conclusion that you all in the CMO got to on that one was that there was a phrase, I, I, maybe I'm going to give this away, so I don't know if I should say it, but there hashtag was- Hashtag lead? Well, that was like lead. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag lead. Yeah. Yeah. So they started signing internally all whatever they were working on. It was this kind of became a rallying cry of like hashtag lead, which was just a simple reminder that actually if you bring insight and if you bring value, people will kind of follow versus, you know, you're not to be in the order taking seat. They were sitting on a gold mine. They had delivered and demonstrated their value over and over again on the revenue roll, but they knew in their heart of hearts, they were leaving value on the table. And so through the data-driven approach, we could show all the revenue-driving activities they were doing a really good job on. But yet, the fit said the business needed more insights. This team had access to it, but was never asked to use the lever. It was just white space. That was a really eye-opening one in the from twos of really helping them. It was like revenue as an outcome to almost like insight and insight as a core input and value as an outcome. And, you know, revenue was in there, of course. You know, Rebecca, this is all very interesting because we started with the uh, semi-dismissive, you know, like, oh, is this just a unique snowflake? Which I think marketing does sometimes. I think we do like, oh, only we get it, only we know. There's no structure we do. We all think we're Mark Matu and we're not, you know, it just is what it is. Okay. And so, but what you're talking about here is a real structure around how sort of decisions get made, how you process through, how you measure your alignment to what it is based on proven models come before. And I suspect over time, knowing Dr. Omar and, and Neil and the rest of the group, that we will continue to improve upon those things. You know what this kind of all, I think what you were really saying, and it's something I use when I talk sometimes about the job I have. I think that, sure, there's structure, there's rules, there's dynamics, you know, but it is different for the situation. Like, I'm constantly having to improve my game. And in fact, I said to somebody about a year or so ago, I said, I think my job, and I'm a CEO of a very small company, so just, you know, let's keep that in perspective. I know where I sit in the world. But I think I like what I do because for me, it's my game of golf. It's like you constantly need to reassess, how did I hit the last hole? How do I hit this one? Because now the terrain's different, the trajectory's different, but it's still the same basic principles. And I think that's really what you were saying. You were saying like, marketing should be like golf. What are we doing to never be perfect, but to try to be a little bit better on every hole versus what we played this year or last season or whenever? And then my body changes, everything. It just, it's all different for every time. That's really, that's kind of what you were saying, I think, right? That's a very good analogy. I don't play golf. Me neither, really, because I have my work. But yeah, well, I but. <laughs> really don't. But I, that's a great analogy of, yeah, the fundamentals of golf it sound like they're it seemed seemingly the same to me. But to your point, the conditions every single time, you know, I would imagine every single thing, you, every action you take is something to do, wind and terrain and to your point, how you're feeling that day. And so I think we can all talk ourselves into anything we want most of the time, right? We could talk ourselves into why we're so unique. This is about actually going, this this function, this area, you know, whenever somebody asks you, should I go into marketing? Yeah. Your answer should be, do you like change? Yeah. Right? Because if you like change, this is the discipline to sign up for. And that's what makes it interesting is you're never done. You're absolutely never done. Just when you think you figured it out, you won't. I mean, I was the worldwide media manager at the Coca-Cola company in the late 90s. I would be the worst person for that job today. Despite all the things I've done, that function has moved on so much. And that's humbling. It's humbling to be a part of something that in a 30-year span, you don't grow up necessarily and get better at all aspects of this. I don't know that anybody here is asking you and I for career advice. However, we'll give it anyway, which is really there's only three areas you want to work in today. Energy is one of them. Healthcare is the other one. And I think anything connected to, you know, I don't know if it's just digital marketing feels a little, I'm lowering the whole thing, but anything connected around what's happened around the internet and being connected as humans are, which has been the backbone of the change that we've been a part of. And what's funny about some of this too, I used to say to people, you know, listen, I'm not so sure that advertising is a noble business. I'll acknowledge that. That's fine. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it can be good for businesses and that's a valuable thing. But we are the engine that is bringing content, commerce, community to every part of the world. It's crazy, too, especially the history that you and I would have, right? Because, you know, I would have been doing this back in the dawn of the Internet when, you know, only rich people with PCs could have access. That was the dynamics of that. And then mobile gave it to billions 
billions. Every but billions of people are connected. Like crazy, crazy. But to think that even there, there's not everybody's connected. Very limited, but still, you're right. We're still not 100% there. Exactly. I would argue, too, I think the role, you know, sustainability is another very interesting one. It's a part of everything you just said. Yeah. It also is a big part of marketing. I've always been fascinated with things that help me navigate the world a little bit. And I think marketing plays a big role in helping you navigate the world. It really does. Do I think all of the aspects? At its base is about making my life easier. Go to a country where you don't speak the language, you can't read, and you can't read the signs, and try to buy That's something. That's me right now. It's a Amsterdam. colossal. <laughs> Sitting every day, <laughs> I take a kid with me <laughs> and say, "What is this?" Yeah. And what is it? But even the kid, though, if she or he doesn't have sort of the brand background, two things, or have heard the advertising, you don't know what you're trying to buy or if that product's going to take care of what you're really looking to accomplish. Oh yeah, I've bought a lot of right? wrong things. I bought. We've had a lot of lactose-free <laughs> things in this house we didn't need. Uh, I've done a lot of things that just are. Wrong. Oh, you're just talking about simple label yeah, reading yeah. then. Yeah. I mean, but it's like, it's humbling. That's what That's is so exciting about this. And I think the, I've been fortunate that to get involved in this kind of work, it's, this is a frontier that hasn't been overmeasured right? We have measured everything. Like when you think about the change in measurement and what we used to be able to measure versus what we can measure today, but this is still an area where let's face it, relationships still come into play. Intuition plays a big role. And when all else fails, it's often right. And networking, we've been able to put some fact to it. And I think that's been really helpful and is to just put some teeth on this and to put some fact around it. And then you're seeing, I'm kind of interested lately in how we're seeing some full circle stuff, right? Like, I don't know if you remember even Greg, like three to five years ago, the debate on, you know, performance versus brand. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're still deep in that. We're still deep in it. But yet I do think I'm seeing a softening on the two edges. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In what way? In what way? What do you mean? Well, I'm seeing a softening. Like I think if you chose to approach that by taking a side, which I didn't, but I was always in companies that kind of required, I didn't take a side. I, you know, if you so chose to take a side, I'm seeing less of the side taking. And now what I'm seeing is more of folks trying to lean in and understand true full funnel really starting to believe that each one is better with the other one. Uh, a performance marketing heavy company that really does lean in on brand as you could talk about all day, really we do know creates more value. The reverse is also true. If you're going to be a kind of a company that's going to lean in heavy on performance and really it cuts both ways. But what I would say there is the marketing is always, by the way, I hear in-source, outsource, center field, centers of excellence, no centers. I mean, it's endless, endless. And I think because you and I are, you have a few more years on us than maybe some of the listeners. I think in the way things start to come back to an equilibrium, and I think on a couple of these areas, I'm starting to see more of that equilibrium of we actually need both to the degree you need it goes into your capability fit, right? Um, and that's a healthy place. It did feel some like a little bit like a war was going on. Yeah. And exactly. you had to because choose there were battle lines being drawn around sort of performance. Yeah. It's kind of exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. The world's more complicated than that. Okay. And even like brand versus product. I see product led companies all the time and I think they're amazing. I don't think every company has to be, you know, the Coca-Cola company's approach to brand building. I think that's a little bit of the model too, right? In an engagement model, that's kind of what you signed up for, but an experience or in exchange, very often product is the brand. So I think we're softening on that, but there will be more debates. They will emerge. Yes. Part of the reason why you and I are advocating people get into marketing because it's always constantly changing. That's right. Don't you have a daughter that's getting into this? Yeah, I do. She just actually, my daughter just got a job at NBCU. I'm very excited for her. I wasn't really pushing her to get into marketing media, but she decided to do it. So good for her. Yeah. She's very excited. Yes. They're doing a good job over there. And, and obviously, you know, Linda built a great organization, no question. And, yeah. and Mark now will take that over and run it further. Hey, Rebecca, let's change degrees here for a moment. Let's go a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about too. So we've talked a lot about trying to be successful within marketing, but let's just talk about being sort of successful through marketing and business and so on and sort of what it takes to kind of get to the upper echelons. And without a doubt, not only, I mean, your perspective is particularly interesting, right? Because Coke was a phenomenally, there was a bevy of talent within that organization, as we talked about. It's really some of the most famous people in our business still. 
And then you're on to C-suite in Bean Tory. You move over to Uber, totally different kind of business, different culture, different part of the country, just everything different and different you know, marketing capability strategy we talked about. And now you sit within McKinsey as an advisor to a series of clients. So you've got other digital. Just talk to the listener a bit about what it think it took for you to really get to the top of the biggest, most successful or best luxury brands, some of the best luxury brands out there. What was that? And then let's talk about that a little bit. Then I'm probably going to get into like, well, and what's it mean to kind of stay in those roles? Because that, that's hard too. Yeah. 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 So I was... This is not true any longer. I think one of the things I started my career in the early 90s, I think many people who start a career would say, I, I'm not going to a company for 30 years. I would have, in my life, thought I was there for that long. Yep. I was a Coke for 22. Yeah, there you go. And the reason I stayed, I think were very good ones and same ones I would give people today are my experiences were different and diverse. I lived on four continents. I got to see marketing from all different angles, from the field, from the center, from a region, from stills to our biggest brands to our smallest brands. I got to work across many disciplines. So that's a reason to, I think, stay somewhere for a long time. But I know that it's not what most people aspire to today. But I think getting to the top of that company and, and doing the roles that I ultimately did, I think came about from doing many roles and from doing many roles that were often white space roles, roles that nobody had before me. And that was really excellent because I've kind of carried that principle of find the white space. You know, don't worry about the job description. If you see there's value to be created, chase the value. And that's really served me well leaving after you've been somewhere for as long as I was and you come in at the top, it's entirely different than growing up somewhere. So I got to see what it feels like to come in. Boom. A lot of these people have grown up here and here you are. I'm now that person that I used to see come into Coke sometimes. Uh-huh. Got it. Okay. And there I had some hits and misses. You know, I had an incredible boss at Beam and he was excellent. At, you know, hey, everyone here thinks you're holding them up to the Coke standard. Hey, you're telling too many stories that are like this. And then you start to see, and I really appreciated, I'm so glad I had to go hone my narrative and figure out who I was without this thing I knew so well called the Coca-Cola company and to really learn how to operate in an entirely vertically integrated system, which was amazing, had R&D in that remit. And so again, it was so helpful for me to have a true end-to-end remit that's rare for a marketer from product, from innovation, product creation, commercialization, all the way. It was, it was incredible. Japanese ownership, all the fun stuff. And then of course, you know, a couple, two and a half, three years later to get the phone call from Uber at such an interesting time in that company's trajectory. Oh my God. You had to say yes to that. Well, it was funny because initially I didn't even return the phone call the first time. Oh really? No. And I was out for a walk a month later with a friend and she's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm loving my job. I got this call from Uber and she's like, and And I'm like, I didn't call him back. She's like, seriously, (laughs) you didn't call him back? And I said, no, I didn't call him back. And she's like, why did you call him back? Why didn't I call him back? Because it was right when Dar had just come in. He's been in like two, three months. Okay. And at this point, it's still like delete Uber. Mm -hmm. You know, and okay. And there's a lot of negativity negativity. because of Travis. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think you know me well enough. The listeners don't have a clue, but like, I'm not that person. I'm not, you know, you're not a go to war person. No, no, no. And I I was like, I lead different. And I saw some early signs that Dara really wanted to build a different leadership team. And so my friend's like, I think you should return the call and just maybe talk to them. So slowly through 2018, we had many, 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 many conversations. And as I got to know the company, I saw that indeed they were fundamentally trying to change that narrative and take that next step to kind of this grown up moment for the company, if you would. And you know, there, you know what you're walking into, right? You know, you're walking into, it's a high growth environment. It's a high pressure environment. And I would do it again. I left after a year, but I would do it again. It was that meaningful. The people I was able to impact, the changes I was able to make, or at least get started. So, but I think in all three instances, we did the markups work in all of them. In every one of them, I was able to start with a mission, the clarity of the capability map and all of that. And I would do that all again. I think sometimes we hold the expectations that I always tell people, I would go to Uber again and I would go to Australia again. And what does that mean? I took a one-year assignment to go with Coke and live in Australia. And I knew it was a one-year end-to-end fix. Yeah. And they were two of the best years of my life. So 
I think sometimes people are afraid of things. <laughs> Wait, so one year job turned into two years, just to yeah. be clear. Right? But like, as long as you go in to create value, you know, I think sometimes we think we have to sign up for these five years and I we joke about the CMO tenure and all of that. And I don't think every job requires you to be in it three to five years. There can be new value to be created. There can be a lot of reasons. But again, it goes back to moments in time. You know, as Uber's coming out of its IPO, the landscape is shifting. It's time to really rethink things. A lot of the job and marketing that I came in to do, they were rethinking whether it was, was still the point the way they wanted to point the value. That's fair. And I think having that ability to have that mature conversation of, you know, is this the right place for me to bring my skills in this moment? It's kind of like the golf game, right? It's a windy day. What advice would you have for people, Rebecca, having sort of been through that now, having been through a couple of different companies, like you said, coming in different places and different ways, different industries? What advice do you have for people now? One, there's risks. There's risks in staying and there's risks in going. So who knows, right? But my advice is go in with the right mindset of creating value, not being the hero, and they're different. Oh, that's And I sometimes think, yeah. I see it a lot. Phone calls come, they need a transformation, they need a change agent. Oh my God, which is always a lie. By the way, that's a lie. Nobody ever really wants transformation or change. It's just a lie. You need to assess how far they really think that is and what their limitations are. Yeah, right, because uh, as soon as you start to push the knob, I see this a lot with my clients. Nobody wants it. Right. And then you went from hero to zero, right? And so I think you've got to really get clear on, am I the right person for what they are saying they need? And it becomes like, what does it need now? Not what did I read in the paper? Not what do I think like right now? And I feel good when I look back on my career, I saw why I was the right person for the job in that environment at that time. And I would say to anyone, that's what's really important is does it feel right? Does it feel like a place you can bring value? Does it feel like you can push the boundaries? And I have been one that took a lot of risks. I put my family through a lot of change. I moved them around. That's not for everyone. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not for everyone. What does it mean to create value? Talk more one more step. And unless you don't have to name the individual companies, but maybe if you can give examples on what that, how you think about that. It feels like it should be obvious, but it's not an obvious, it's not an obvious, is it? It isn't, yeah. but that's the beauty of it, yeah. is I could create value with it. You think about these multi-stakeholder businesses. Sometimes it's going to be creating value with our stakeholders, in which case consumers can be our stakeholders, but they're one of many. It could be creating brand value that's going to pay out over a very long time. You might not even see all the value you're going to create in that way. It can be value for people. It can be value for employees. By the way, I've always thought the environment was a stakeholder. Creating value for the environment, creating value for the communities we live in. And I just think the word is a little bit more meaningful for me than just growth. Growth is value, uh, certainly, but it's can maybe destroy long-term value in, in the pursuit of short-term value. So I just think if you put your vector in that direction and articulate it in a multifaceted way, you can help the business see, you know, like I used to love the way Coke did this incredibly well. I was a really good friend of mine, Scott McCune. The way any of our really, really big partnerships, FIFA, the Olympics, it was one eighth of the equation was the financial value that we could create. It was, do we leave the cities better than we worked in? Do we leave, right? Like, and that was a really powerful lesson in terms of what you can create in these kinds of roles. What does value creation have to do to then when having alignment to those who are already there? Isn't that sense of, I mean, I think we broadly call that politics, but you know, we get misaligned about what we're, how we're trying to, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't want to define it for you. What do you think goes wrong? Where does it not work? Because everyone is looking for something different. I think one of the things that I've always tried to do is what is valuable to them Everyone wants to create value. I've actually found that to be the most common galvanizing okay. feature. Everybody's aligned. But yep. if we don't align, if I'm there and I'm like, you're going to help me create value for this function, that never works. It's what is it that we both need here? And the more we have those conversations, and that's that integrate. You know, not everyone's here to deliver your value equation. And I think that's a hard piece of marketing today because it sometimes requires so many dots to be connected. 
And they, again, they don't often work for you. So the easy way is not because I said. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, it's fatiguing, by the way, too. Connecting the dots can be fatiguing. Omar always taught me the thing, and I think he's really right. Talk about a guy who used to work for me, but really I think I've always worked for him because I learned more from him than the reverse (laughs) could ever be true. He's pretty damn smart. He really is. It's crazy. Yeah, go ahead. He's (laughs) amazing. Not everything has to be collaborative. Just be clear when it can't be. Oh. Just be clear when it can't be. Because we pretend like, let's take something easy where everybody loves to collaborate. Creative. Sometimes collaborating on creative is the recipe for the worst creative ever. Correct. Correct. So let's just be clear and let's just state it that this is not going to be collaborative. Here are the two moments you're going to get input and that's it and no mas. But instead, we pretend that it's going to be highly collaborative and then along the way, all we do is disappoint you with our lack of collaboration and the creative that you don't like. It's funny, you know, I had a coach actually point out to me one time, the trick he kind of taught me was really good to say, listen, I'd like to hear your opinion. I mean, I understand I need to make the decision here, but I'd like to hear your opinion. So what you're doing is you're creating a collaboration, but you're telling them at the end of the day that it's my decision. I'm one empowered and and forced to make that and I will make that decision. I have found that to be really kind of good sometimes with people, especially when when you're a C-suite executive. At some point, somebody's got to make a damn decision. We got to move on to the next. Exactly. Right. And just so, so telling people when it is or isn't, but stringing them along as if this is always going to be collaborative and co-created isn't right either. But there are moments when it is necessarily so. And it, I sometimes say to people, it's going to maybe feel like it's slowing you down in the beginning, but you're going to go so much faster and so much farther. It's that old proverb, right? Sometimes you need a little break. You know, listen, you have brakes on a Formula One car so you can go faster. It's the quality of brakes on Formula One that allows them to go as fast as they do. And some people forget that brakes are what matter. Oh, I didn't know you were a Formula One fan. I'm not, but, you know, I hang out with Lou Pascalis too much and, you know, he tells me everything. So that's what I, but I got that. Yeah, he, is, he's, he loves it. Okay, listen, we're going to wrap up with a couple of lightning questions because there's going to be caveats on yours. Okay, the question I'm going to ask you is who else in marketing, person or company, do you really admire today? Okay, but by the way, you can't pick Coke, you can't pick Uber, you can't pick the okay. team, Tory. Okay. I'm trying to think who else you can't pick, you can't pick McKinsey, you can't pick McKinsey. Okay. So who, who do you most, what person, company, do you think is just doing a kick-ass job today? I'll say a couple of my clients actually that I can name. I think Kellen's doing a killer job in a very oh complex God. environment. Oh my God. That I work see that she it. presented the COCMO yes. summit about how she crafted that brand and the process that I, but all I, three things were true. She inspired. Unbelievable. Yes. She innovated in oh, the approach right. and she integrated. Oh And I my love God. what she's doing. Oh my God. So I God. think she's doing a very, very good job. And I think there's a classic example of where the value will be short and long-term. Oh my God. Talk about, listen, we've all done brand exercises. I've never really heard it like that at that scale. Yep. So I think she's, that's a person Mm -hmm. that I think is killing it. She's very impressive. Another marketer who I just, I think is incredible. And I think she's really helped turn a company around is Nikki Newberger at Lululemon. She worked for me at Uber, unbelievable talent. She was running marketing for Uber Eats. Okay. Incredible talent, just incredible. But just think about, what they've done. I experienced the brand a lot. Uh, The way they've become more inclusive, the way they use community, the role of product, how they're not afraid, you know, the work they did on the dupes and you could bring your dupes in and we'll give you a pair of our, I mean like brilliant, very proud and confident of the quality of their product at stand up. So Nikki is just one to watch. She is exceptional, but I think she's done really good work expanding that brand and, and around the world, getting into men, getting into footwear, everything. Wow. Okay. So obviously two next questions. First one's what's most overhyped in marketing and then followed by what's most underhyped or most underappreciated, but what's most overhyped right now in marketing today? What do you think we're just all like wrought up against and like, oh my God, let it go people. I hate the word hyped only because I can't, I'm, I hate not answering your question the way you asked it. I think AI is most overhyped and most underhyped. Okay. I think it's going to change Same everything. Yeah. Okay. I think it's going to change yeah. everything. I do, but hype because as a result, we become an echo chamber just talking about that. Again, I think it's an opportunity to say, if not this, then what? There will be another thing. Yeah, yeah. Just like 20 years ago when you started the or MMA, was, you know, mobile was everything. Yeah, mobile was everything. It was everything. It, was. it still, still is everything. It's, still, it's, it's changed still, every it's one of our lives. It's still everything. It doesn't matter as much anymore. Right, exactly. I totally agree. But yeah. if we've yeah. learned anything from that, yeah. we will learn how to integrate it. We will learn how to work with it. It will find its incredible place in our lives and it will be onto a new thing. And I think that perspective 
just having now lived through a couple of these, you go, we would do ourselves all a big favor by just allowing ourselves to think that we've been through huge change before. We've seen it. In most instances, it's made us better. Yeah. <laughs> There's risk with AI. There's funny things there. There's risk. Exactly. I think you're right. You know, I had an interesting conversation amongst a few of the board members the other day, and somebody's pointed out, they go, yeah, they go, it's cool. Of course, we all like chat GPT, you know, right now, and the excitement around mm-hmm. some of that and generative AI, we're all just gaga with. I forget how they said it, but they go, they were kind of saying a variation of like, I don't know what the killer app is. That, that's not the words they use, but that's what they meant. And so here's what's interesting. I think that's true. If you look back on history, mobile, you know, the iPhone was introduced in 2007, right? That's when Apple released the first iPhone. Okay. Uber didn't exist on that first phone. In fact, Apple didn't even know that apps were going to be the thesis of the whole damn phone. They didn't know they were going to stop us from making phone calls someday. Nobody makes phone calls anymore at all. I don't know when Travis started Uber. I know the story of how he started. I don't know the actual year he started, but it was a couple years in that cycle. So my take on AI is that it might be being built. I don't know, but we haven't seen the killer app yet. Yep, It's very well said. We haven't seen the thing that's going to transform it all. And that to me is very exciting. It is exciting. And that's one of the things I love about this. But I think the word hype is actually well chosen because we hype means we make so much of it that all it can do is disappoint. And <laughs> right, right. I don't think it's going to disappoint. I think it's going to delight us. Same as Uber did and changed all of our expectations. But I don't think it means we have to stop doing everything else. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go back to some of the fundamentals that are a part of our conversation. Let's just make sure we get the pieces in place in the foundation. Rebecca, listen, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoy working with you. We've now, you've been on the board for some number of years. I really appreciate the work that you and Markaps are doing. I think it's instrumental. I've often said, I think the work in Markaps, the work around its MMA's marketing org structure, we call it most, is our think tank. But at Markaps is the actual company that Omar and team have now founded to perform the service and continue to develop research out of. I do believe it's the most important work I will see in my entire career in marketing. I think there's nothing more relevant or exciting or fundamental than that. And I, I just wish we could do all we could to really help marketers get there faster because I think we'll see such a transformation in the business of marketing if we can all get there. So, But that's, you know, it takes time. Well, you and the MMA have been amazing. Oh, I feel fortunate that I now get to partner with these guys and help run these engagements and advance the work. But the pleasure of it is marketing's a people function. That is our greatest asset. And I'm just happy that it's something that focuses on that and it's available to everyone. So thanks for your support of it and always your support of me as well. Oh my God. So much fun. Thank you for doing this today. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks again to Rebecca Messina for coming on Building Better CMOs. Check the description of this episode for links to connect with Rebecca. And if you want to know more about MMA's work to unlock the power of marketing, visit MMAglobal.com. Or you can attend any one of our 30 conferences in 15 countries where MMA operates. Or really, write me, Greg, at MMAglobal.com. Thank you so much for listening. Tap the link in the show notes to leave us a review. And if you're new to the show, please follow or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find links to all those places and more at BetterCMOs.com. Our producer and podcast consultant is Eric Johnson from LightningPod.fm. Artwork is by Jason Chase and a very special thanks to LaSara Smith. This is Greg Stewart. I'll see you again in two weeks.